Hi, Dr. Priya. Welcome to the No Such Thing as TMI podcast. Tell people about everything you do and who you are. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited for this. Um, Yeah, I'm Dr. Priya. I'm a licensed naturopathic doctor. I specialize in women's health. I see lots of hormone cases, gut cases, all sorts of stuff that, you know, make up our day-to-day well-being. Yeah. Um, So I know everyone's so interested in naturopathic medicine. I feel like it's all the rage right now, like functional medicine, naturopathic medicine. Do you think you could explain the difference between Um, I think everyone knows what Western is, but let's just do like Western naturopathic functional. Yeah, absolutely. So starting on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, you know, you have your MDs, OBs, um, and really when you're going to those types of doctors, which most of us have had that experience at one point in our lives, you're going in and it's very set in the structure of you're working mostly with pharmaceutical intervention. So that's what you can typically expect going to your regular doctor, depending on like where you're at with your symptoms, that's what you would get. And then moving into functional medicine, that is the MDs that decided they want to get a little bit more of a holistic training. So they do additional courses so they can learn different modalities like supplements, lifestyle interventions, that kind of stuff where instead of first going to the pharmaceuticals, they can lean towards that, but they still have that MD training. And then you have naturopathic doctors like me where our curriculum is a little bit similar in the first two years. You know, we're learning some of the same core basics, but then in the last two years, we're really branching out into foundations of health, supplements and herbs being first line of treatment whenever we see patients. And then of course, if there's someone who's well advanced into their disease and it doesn't make sense to take that intervention, then we refer out to those MDs again. So you kind of think of it as like the varying levels of how do you approach this in the most beneficial, but least harmful way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's super cool. I didn't know the difference between naturopathic and functional. And so that's good to know. I'm sure other people will like that explanation as well. So, okay. So I know you just came out with um, your course period harmony. So tell me a little bit about that, because I think that so many people, I mean, me, myself, I just went off, not just, but now it's been almost a year that I've been off birth control. And I definitely had, you know, probably a story you've heard like tons of times that I was diagnosed with PCOS, was put on the pill because, you know, no one wanted to tell me that I was, you know, as a 16 year old, I was over-exercising and under-eating. So just naturally I had irregular cycles and naturally the reason for that was PCOS. But then fast forward, when I took myself off the pill, I did actually fit the criteria for PCOS. And I think, I know Dr. Jolene Brighton calls that like post-pill PCOS. Do you see a lot of people have that kind of experience coming off birth, the birth control pill. Yeah. That actually had the same exact thing happened to me too. So when oh. I was younger, I had regular cycles, but I think I was just young. I was 15 or 16 at the time. They were painful. They were irregular, but I was also just a teenager, not paying attention to anything I was putting in my body. I was over exercising, under eating all the classic things, but you know, I got diagnosed with PCOS too, went on the pill, just like you came off of it, fit that criteria again. But in my case, it was definitely post-pill PCOS because they had offered me um, to go back on the pill and I decided against it and I pursued natural remedies instead. And after a few months, things kind of reverted back to just normal cycles and I haven't had any issues since. So I do see that happen really often, especially if you've been on birth control for a long time. It's really easy to come off of it and just have your cycles be 
all over the place because your body's kind of adjusting to not having those steady streams of hormones anymore. And then there's also been long-term changes that having those hormones in your body does over time. It can mess with your insulin. It can mess with your androgens, your cortisol, your microbiome, your liver. Like there's all sorts of things that can happen when you've been on the pill for a long time. So it's not uncommon to see some of these things pop up after you come off of it, like post-pill PCOS. And why, like, why do those changes happen? Is it because our body is now relying on the synthetic form of birth, like the synthetic form of hormones that now like our natural hormones are just suppressed. And then that kind of throws everything else haywire. Yeah. So whenever you're taking birth control pills, you're taking the hormonal contraceptives. What's basically happening is having a steady stream of hormones in your body like that is shutting off the communication between your brain and your ovaries. So you're not sending those signals in terms of FSH and LH to your ovaries in order to get an egg ready for each cycle and then release that egg and potentially have it fertilized and you know all those things that happen during a natural cycle. Instead, what you're getting is just a steady stream of hormones. So your body doesn't necessarily need to go through those fluctuations on its own. And then most people take a placebo week. And at that point, you're just having the withdrawal bleed from not taking those hormones. If you don't do a placebo week, that's how you can like skip your period so that we see that too sometimes in some forms of birth control. Yeah. And if someone wants to be on, so I think for the most part, like general consensus is that the birth control, the pill like sucks and should just be out. Um, I guess like, I guess more specifically with the combined estrogen progesterone, I know at least like, at least in the community that I work with, a lot of people that have adenomyosis can see some people, not everyone can see some benefit with the progesterone only, but, um, I, from my understanding, generally speaking, the pill is just like not even on the table, but I see some, some people lean more towards like Dr. Laura Brighton, for example, I'm sure you've, you're familiar with her. I know she's more, if someone like wants to be on hormonal birth control, she's more of a fan of the IUD because of it doesn't have systemic effects, even though I feel like that's kind of up in the air. Cause there are, there are reports of systemic effects. I feel like it's really impossible to just have local effects with any medication, and I mean, that goes for vaginal estrogen too. Like what I see in my world, like, you know, people that take vaginal, vaginal estrogen, it's, it's, you know, marketed for mainly having local effects, but there's always a chance of it having systemic effects. So if you have a client that let's say wants to be on hormonal growth control, is there one that you prefer over the other? Yeah, I would say if they're a candidate for the IUD, I would lean a little bit more towards that too. Even the copper IUD, which does have its side effects too, that could be an alternative to it that will be effective, but there's no hormones involved. And so I have this conversation often with a lot of patients. Some of them are really iffy about coming off of birth control. Some just don't feel safe enough, honestly, in today's day and age in certain states to not be on hormonal birth control. And I get that, especially if you're someone who um, just isn't in a place to potentially risk a pregnancy of any type. So with any of these interventions, it's always like going back to do the risks outweigh, you know, the pros and cons, like what are we looking at? What's, what's the best course of action? Um, but if I had to like rank it in terms of someone wants to be on some form of birth control, I would probably put it at copper IUD, hormonal IUD, and then looking into the pill. Yeah. So if someone's on IUD, let's say the hormonal IUD, how would you recommend someone like nourish themselves while being on hormonal birth control? Like what are your big, like, okay, I want you to be checking off these boxes every single day or, you know. Yeah. I liver support is always my number one. Whenever it comes to 
anything hormonal. So I would definitely want to have a diet in place, herbal teas in place, maybe even supplements that are all going to be really supportive of the liver, um, sticking as close as you can to an anti-inflammatory diet and really making sure you're getting all the nutrients that you need through that diet. Um, not so much with the IUD, but with regular birth control pills, we know that there's certain nutrients depleted. So in some cases, just depending on someone's diet and how well they're able to incorporate certain nutrients, putting them on a multi would be a good idea too. Um, but definitely liver anti-inflammatory support, looking at nutrients, and then all the basics of health that we always talk about, like getting good sleep, yeah. moving your body, trying to bring down stress as much as possible because, right. you know, you can't. I know you can't do anything unless those things are really, you know, set. Yeah. yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that, I think that in the holistic world, it's so exciting. And it's just, sometimes it's so new when you're coming from a place of like Western medicine background or like from a place of where pharmaceuticals were your only option, but then it's also kind of like, it can be a little extreme. Like at the, at the end of the day, make sure you're getting the basics. You're getting enough sleep per night. You're getting quality sleep. You're getting sunlight in every day. You're moving your body. Like, I think a lot of people kind of, they're like, okay, what supplements can I take? What can I do? But it's like, are, are you even doing the basics first? Yeah. And that's a conversation I have like almost every single day with people because <laughs> I mean, it's not fun. It's not sexy to be like, are you sleeping well? Like, are you actually managing your stress? Everyone wants to do what's new and out there. Like, oh, have you heard of this supplement? Have you heard of like doing this thing? And it's like, yeah, all those things are really great, but you're not sleeping. So you're yeah. not going to benefit from doing like these crazy things instead of it, hoping that it'll fix what the sleep is doing to your body, you know? So I think a lot of people, when they do transition too, it's just like, you have to really talk to them and be like, we have to look at these foundations of health because nothing is going to budge. Like the, the most important thing that you can do when it comes to natural medicine, if you actually want to see success in the protocols you're going through and the things that you're investing in is really just getting your lifestyle down and really focusing in on good nutrition, good sleep movement, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So that's, that's the basics for the hormonal IUD, any like specific nutrients you, you recommend besides like liver health, which I do want to get into liver health. So like, what are some of your favorite liver health? Like I know dandelion tea is really popular. I'm a big fan of the Ticino dandelion, like dark roast blend. That's like my new coffee swap. Um, I know castor oil packs are great. Um, do you have any like other specific liver health recommendations? And can you also go a little bit into as to why the liver is so important to focus on? Like why the liver when you're taking hormonal birth control? Yeah. So the why of it is really important because your liver is one of your major detox organs. And when we're looking at your hormones in particular, it's helping detox excess hormones out of your body, especially estrogen. And we see a lot of women have high estrogen symptoms. So this makes it a really important place to start looking in because when you have your hormones that are ready to basically come out of your body, they're in excess they go through phase one and two of the liver, along with so many other things, basically anything you're introducing into your body, your liver is going to be screening. So I know we hear a lot about like these detox crash cleanses aren't good. You, you don't need to detox and all that stuff. And while that's true, you don't need to go on some sort of like crazy week long cleanse where you're doing God knows what to clear your liver. Yeah. Um, I do think should be supporting their liver in some way, shape or form daily, because it is working every single day. And it can get sluggish because we do a lot of things that are that can, you know, weigh down how our liver is working. So 
reducing alcohol intake, reducing processed foods, reducing exposure to toxins, and then bringing in some of those things that you already mentioned, the castor oil packs, the dandelion teas. I love NAC. I think NAC is so incredible for women's health. So that's like one of the go-tos I almost always put people on for just long-term hormonal health, especially for anyone that has a history of high estrogen symptoms, fibroids, um, things like that, where, you know, we really want to make sure the liver is doing a good job of clearing out excess estrogens. Um, and then milk thistle is another great one too. My boyfriend really helpful for he used to always take milk, milk thistle before a night of drinking. I don't even know. If, I think like in his mind, he's like, yeah, this is going to outweigh what I'm doing tonight. And I feel like it's probably not, but I mean, <laughs> do you ever have people that do that? They like take a supplement before they go out drinking or do you, yeah, that's actually, I'm curious. Like, do you ever have, if someone knows they're going to be drinking, do you suggest some, like, how can someone support their liver if they're going to be drinking one night? Yeah. I always tell them NAC is a great one. Milk thistle is also good. So you can take it few days leading up to it, a few days after it's just helping your liver enzymes out. Um, and then, you know, making sure that you're eating well-balanced meal beforehand. So your blood sugar is not going on a crazy roller coaster the rest of the night, taking your electrolytes throughout the day, kind of moderate it as much as you can. Um, I'm in the camp of everything in life has a balance. Like I'm not hundred percent sober. I have drinks here and there, and it's just a matter of knowing okay, what's a normal amount just here and there to have? And what is tipping into the line of, okay, you're, you're doing some long-term damage, like you need to cut back. And I think most people do a lot of long-term damage and don't realize it in today's society. Oh my gosh. Especially in college. Like when I think about how much I used to drink in college, it's disgusting. <laughs> it's like actually so disgusting and like no support before or after, like literally just, oh, so gross. I, I mean, no wonder yeah. I had PCOS. Like I literally would wake up drink a coffee intermittent fast to like one and then probably have one meal and then binge drink literally the whole night thinking that was the way of life or that was cool you know that's like what society tells us to do that's like what the norms are unfortunately like no one in college is talking about any of this stuff like and the thing is your body's so young and resilient that you don't feel those impacts but you're right. you are causing that damage long term and then in your 20s 30s then it starts to really hit you like wow why are my hormones all why do I feel like crap all the time? Why am I like aging so much faster? Like it really catches up on you. Yeah. I think it's really a huge flex. If you can, you know, take, take a step back and you can say, okay, like once you realize that everything you're doing now is going to affect you 10, 20, 30 years from now, like everything you're doing to support your body now will, will pay off in the end. Because I think, I think the, the biggest flex for me has been me being able to be like, okay, why am I on birth control? Why am I now on spiroloctolone because the birth control caused me to have hormonal acne, you know, like, like the breaking point for me was when I was on the IUD and then I was, di I was prescribed Spiro, which I can't even say it, spiroloctolone, I think. And then my dermatologist was like, yeah, and by the way, you can't drink coconut water because Spiro is potassium sparing and you could literally have heart palpitations. And I was like, I can't drink coconut. Like I can't, like, that was the last line for me. That was literally the last straw. I was like, I, I'm not going to limit healthy foods, my intake of healthy foods of things that I love because of a medication I'm on. I'm like, absolutely not like that. No, no, it's really crazy because all these things do have so many side effects and women get put on them at such a young age. Like we're talking about teenage years, early twenties, you are put on medications that are causing these hormonal changes in your body. And then we wonder why we have generations of women that are just suffering through menopause. And it's like, okay, because we never actually let our bodies do things properly. We've just yeah. been like put 
band-aid and then you know we come into our 50s and 60s and it's our our health is just deteriorating from every angle because you're having this big hormonal change that's happening and then your body's just not set up for it in the aftermath right yeah no it's really really so crazy um Okay. So then talking about the copper IUD. So I've heard that the copper IUD can lead to symptoms of like copper toxicity. Do you have anything to say about the copper IUD and symptoms like that or what those symptoms even look like? Yeah, it it can happen to some people. It doesn't happen to everyone, but there are people that are susceptible to it. Also, anyone that has any potential risk factors for things like rheumatoid arthritis or other autoimmune conditions, I would definitely want to rule out um, copper IUD for. We know there's a big link between um, copper IUD and rheumatoid arthritis. So there are risk factors with that too. And this is again, one of those things where you have to look at someone's like health history and family history and be like, okay, are you a good candidate for it? And for any of my patients that I've considered going on the copper IUD, I always tell them, one, get your nutrients in check first. Like doing some micronutrient testing would be really helpful to make sure your values are at a good place. And to make sure inflammation is low in your body, because if your body's inflamed and you're putting in the copper IUD, it's not going to, it's probably not going to go well. You're probably going to get a lot of cramps, a lot of the heavy bleeding that we sometimes see with it. So you really have to prepare your body for that too. I wouldn't say it's something that has no side effects because we know that it does, but it's just another one of those alternatives in case the hormonal option, that hormonal IUD is like off the table. And is there a way, like if let's say you're on, you're on the copper IUD, let's say you're, you're good. Like you're not feeling any symptoms. You actually are enjoying the copper IUD. Maybe you're having some heavier bleeding or cramping. Cause that's usually a big side factor, but they warn you a lot about, is there a way, like, how do we support our bodies with a copper IUD inside? Is there a way to kind of like detox copper? Is that also through the liver? Yeah, I would focus in on liver support, anti-inflammatory support, and then sometimes it's beneficial to supplement with zinc too. But again, I would kind of want to check levels out first before doing something like that. Um, But as you know, when there's high copper, there's lower zinc. So you really want to support that. And then also just looking at your hormones too. the ratio between estrogen and progesterone will tell you if you need additional support. Okay. So I want to get into that too, because I feel like so many people can, can resonate with this. They go to the doctor, they get their hormones tested and everything's normal. So what kind of tests do you suggest people actually like seek out to get an accurate representation of what their hormones say? Because everyone's saying that it's normal. Like when I had PCOS, because the one criteria that I didn't fit was I didn't have high testosterone. I had symptoms of high androgens. I had, you know, um, lots of cysts on my ovaries. Like I had the polycystic ovaries and then I had, um, the irregular cycles. So like I fit the criteria, but the only thing I didn't have was the high testosterone. So, you know, and that just made me think like, how accurate are these blood tests? I know that Western medicine tests are testing to see for abnormal ranges, but we know that Western medicine isn't always testing for optimal ranges. So what do you suggest as far as like blood tests goes? Like what, what numbers are you looking for? Do you rely on blood tests or do you rely on other tests? I do a combination of blood tests and the Dutch hormone tests. And I think it depends on what someone's struggling with. So if I have a patient who's really struggling with PMS, like their luteal phase is awful, but they have regular cycles, um, you know, it's coming every 28 days, 30 days, whatever, but they have like terrible PMS, terrible cramps, then I'll do the Dutch test because I want to see what's going on in their luteal phase. And more specifically, I want to see how they're clearing out their estrogens because nine times out of 10, it's an issue going back to the liver of how people are clearing out their estrogens. Mm -hmm. But if someone is struggling with PCOS-like symptoms, you're having really irregular cycles, they're all over the place, 
um, were suspecting amenorrhea or PCOS, then I would do a blood test because I want to see FSH and LH values, um, preferably between days three to five, if we're able to catch your cycle, if it's you know, it could be irregular, but if we're able to get it between days three to five, then we could get the most optimal view into what's happening. And I think this is where the issue comes in with some of the, you know, regular hormone testing that people do is you're not doing it at the right time of the cycle. You're not taking the proper hormones. You're not getting the full picture. And then to your point, not looking at the right ranges. Like for example, testosterone has such a huge range when we're looking at it on a conventional lab test, where in reality, the ideal amount is somewhere between like 30 to 55. Whereas I think a traditional conventional range is like nine to like something higher. I can't even remember the end range, but nine? as you can see, yeah, there's a big range. There's a big wow. range that you could be like- No wonder everyone's on. libido is shot. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's so many hormones that people will demonize testosterone being one of them, but it's so important for your vitality, for your libido, for your energy, your strength. So low testosterone is just as much of an issue as high testosterone is. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think I've had so many, especially like people, especially closer to premenopausal, postmenopausal that are coming in and their testosterone is like a three. And I'm like, you need to go see a hormone specialist. <laughs> like, this is why your libido is so low or it could be why. Um, yeah, no, that's so crazy. Cause I don't even know. I don't know the optimal ranges and I should definitely know that because I need to write those down. Do you know the other ones off the top of your head or no? Um, so when you're looking at estradiol, if it's between days three to five, you want it to be below 50, if I'm not mistaken. And then when you're looking in your follicular phase, I think you want it to be closer to like 150, 200, or I'm sorry, when you're looking at your luteal phase, you want it to be closer to that. Um, I'm trying to think of other optimal ranges off the top of my head, FSH and LH, you want them to be a you want them to be similar to one another. So you don't want the ratios to be skewed. And if you're testing, um, three to five, you want them to be typically between seven to nine each. Um, if they're not, then it's not the most optimal for fertility. Progesterone, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, I kind of revert back to the Dutch test for progesterone instead of blood work. So it's a little bit different, um, but I can send you the ranges. I have them written down. I should probably memorize but I haven't written it down because it's just too many numbers. No, that'd be great. That'd be great. Cause that would be helpful. Cause a lot of times patients will, I'll usually just Google it. I'm like, what's the optimal ranges, but I would much rather have your, your take on the optimal ranges than me just Googling it. I have a little sheet that I keep on hands whenever I'm doing my like lab analysis that I just go through. So yeah, I'll send that over to you. That'd be so great. Um, oh, there was something else I wanted to ask you. Oh, I was going to say, I was going to mention like how you mentioned how important it is to get tested at a certain phase in your cycle. Because I literally, I remember when I got tested after coming off birth control, I was so excited. I got my period. And I think that I got my period pretty regularly after coming off the IUD. And I think that was because I was getting the basics in, you know, like I went back to the basics of sleep movement, sunshine, but also stabilizing my blood sugar a lot more. Like, I feel like I know that's a hot topic right now as it should be, but really prioritizing three meals a day, 30 grams of protein, each meal eating in the order of like veggie protein carbs. Um, like if I'm having dessert, having it after a meal, all those kinds of things, I think really, really helped with balancing my blood sugars and just bringing my cycle back normal. But, um, it was on the longer side. Now it's storing up, which is good. Um, but 
when I got my blood work done, she had me come in when I was bleeding. <laughs> so like, obviously all your, my levels were so low. Um, and so I really couldn't get a good picture as to like where my hormones were at and what my blood work was at. And on top of that too, I stupidly, now I know better, but I did a castor oil pack like on my first cycle, like my first cycle back. And then I did blood work the next day. And I actually fainted when I was getting blood work. And my girlfriend was like, mm -hmm, don't do that ever. Again. No, no, don't ever do a castor oil while you're bleeding. You will bleed more than you're supposed to. Yeah. What I do though, like when I use castor oil, you, sometimes my first day, it's not as, it's not like the cranberry red kind of blood. So I'll do it the night before or the, the first two nights to get a good flow going and then I'll stop. I usually like to do that, but I think yeah. that's, yeah. And that's fine. As long as you're not doing it on a day where you're like really bleeding, cause that will right. increase it for sure. Yeah. It can help with spotting. Yeah. Now I'm not surprised that that happened. I've, I mean, I've seen people's blood work where they've had just the randomest hormones done on the randomest day. I'll ask someone, yeah. which day was it? And they're like, oh, this was on day 13. And I'm like, what are we supposed to be looking at with this then? Right. Like, sure, I guess, but this is not the ideal time to do any testing. Like, I don't know why progesterone's even on here. You haven't even ovulated. Yeah. So, yeah. No, so exactly. Yeah. So I think that's really, really important. People need to know that, you know, moving forward with they're getting blood work done, it needs to be more specific, which can be very difficult with Western medicine. Cause usually just grab the first appointment. You know what I mean? Like appointments are like six months out. So it's, I mean, I have to schedule my annual literally at least six months out. So I don't even know where I'm going to be at in my cycle. Um, I guess I should, but I think my cycle is, I don't know. I just don't. Um, but I did want to talk about something too. You mentioned how you work a lot with people that have PMS and you're really looking at their luteal phase. I guess like general recommendations, how can someone support, like, let's say they have PMS or PMDD. Cause that's another big, big topic, which I'm sure we could say a lot about that. Um, if we had more time, but generally speaking, like how can someone support PMS or PMDD around their luteal phase? So anything that you're doing, always stick with it for at least like three months. So the stuff I'm talking about, give it some time to work because you can't like, you can't just do things in one phase and have it make that big impact. Um, specifically, like I'm assuming we're talking outside of all the foundations we talked about. Yeah, I don't... Outside the foundations, like let's say you got the foundations down and you're still experiencing some discomfort, a lot of discomfort, you know, it, it's just like, it's really affecting your day-to-day -day life. When it comes to mood symptoms, I love incorporating adaptogens. So something like ashwagandha or holy basil can be really supportive of the mood. And then during the luteal phase itself, if you're getting really prone to anxiety, passion flower is amazing. So that's a really good um, nervous system relaxant. It helps increase GABA, which is really helpful if your PMS is coming from the fact that your progesterone is too low in ratio to your estrogen. So getting in some of that mood support, throwing in also nutrients that are supportive of mood, like your magnesium glycinate, um, phosphatidylserine, those are all really helpful. Um, if you are getting PMS in terms of you're getting a lot of inflammatory symptoms like breast tenderness, you're starting to get cramps before your period's even coming, um, doing a multi-combination like inflammatory, multi-combination supplement <laughs> called Inflammatone, which has a lot of anti-inflammatory herbs in there is really helpful. Vitamin E is super helpful for breast tenderness that can help reduce some of that breast tenderness. Like and topically then if or orally? 400 IU a day has been studied for breast tenderness alongside vitamin B6, which 
also helps with mood. I totally forgot to mention that, but B6 is so hugely linked to PMS and so many people are deficient in it. I mean, I run tests all the time and I include B6 on there and I can't remember the last time I had someone's B6 levels come back normal, whether on the really? Dutch test even, or even if test. they're like, they're eating like a lot of animal protein and like raw, like dairy and all that kind of stuff. Really? Wow. Yeah. Why do you think, why do you think mm-hmm. that is? I just think that a lot of people have gut issues that haven't gotten resolved. So you're not getting the proper nutrients in from digestion. A lot of our foods are really depleted. Even if you're eating animal proteins, I still feel like from what we, what our ancestors would get from vegetables, fruits, things like that, we're just not getting the same amount in. Um, a lot of people have the MTHFR mutation too. So you're just not able to turn vitamin B from food into the usable source that you need. So those are kind of the top three reasons I see, but B6 can make such a huge difference if you're supplementing with it. B12 too, but more so B6. Um, Yeah. The castor oil packs that you mentioned too will be really helpful for um, any of the inflammatory symptoms that we were just talking about. I'm trying to think of what else in terms of PMS. Feel free to jump in and ask about specific symptoms because now I'm blanking. No, I I think you covered, I mean, pain. What about pain? Pain, the the anti-inflammatory. So like Inflamatone, the castor oil pack. I really like um, the supplement Cramp Bark Extra by Vitanica for day of pain. So if you're in pain, that's an incredible formulation to take because it has cramp bark in there. I think it has raspberry leaf in there, like all the traditional herbs that are used for period cramps. So it's a good go-to outside of like Advil and things like that. Yeah. And you guys, if you're listening to this, you have to check out Dr. Bria's Instagram because I've never come across a more like all encompassing Instagram. Like you, you, you're the way you lay posts out. I'm just like, you are literally just laying out your knowledge on Instagram. Like they're, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. Yeah. And I like, I like your new style that you've been doing the, the reels. I've picked up on that. They're yeah. cute. They're good. You know, you have to keep up with like the Instagram algorithm. I was like, okay, I got it. Instagram wants you to do more reels. I guess I could just turn my little carousels into reels now. So yeah, that's where we're at. No, but there's yeah. there's so much good information. Like people can really take anything from there. I mean, what would you recommend? Like, how would you recommend if someone, you know, cause like I said, it's going to be kind of overwhelming. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of holistic things you can do. What would you recommend for someone who's going to your page and like, okay, I feel like I need to do all of these things. Like where should someone start? Yeah. I actually just made a post on that. And I have a pinned as the first and only pinned post on my page where it says where to start. If you don't know where to start, cause oh, everything's perfect. really overwhelming. You could just refer to that because it really just lays it out in terms of, okay, where, because it is really overwhelming. I remember when I first got into the world of holistic wellness, it's just like, there's so much information out there. And nowadays there's even more information out there than there was like 10 years ago, I would say. So it could be really overwhelming. And there's so many different people saying so many different things. And not that I'm saying like, I have all the knowledge and like my ways, the one way, because I'm sure there will be people that will look at what I'm saying and will resonate and some won't. But I made a post that's very like neutral in terms of like, okay, this is a starting point and you can build from this. And yeah, that's awesome. yeah it goes back, goes back talks about supplements and all that stuff. So that's yeah. amazing. Okay. Well, I, I do want to talk about our last thing. I want to talk about your course that you created period harmony. So what is that course all about and who is that for? Yeah. So that course is really for anyone struggling with their hormones, whether you're on birth control and you want to transition off of it, whether you're off birth control, 
Um, whether you just want to learn more about your periods, you're struggling with PMS, or you're struggling with irregular periods, whatever it is, I created that course where I take basically all the knowledge that I have about periods and I lay it out for you in terms of this is what's happening across your cycle. These are all like the cyclical changes you can experience. This is how to optimize your health in each cycle. So it goes into cycle syncing a little bit. And then there's also um, modules where it breaks down all the different things that can impact your hormones. So some of what we talked about, like your liver, your gut, stress, thyroid, adrenals, environmental toxins, like all those areas. And basically a how-to guide afterwards of like, these are some ways to optimize it. These are like the lifestyle things I recommend. These are the supplements I recommend and so on. So really good course. If you want to like dive into just knowing more about your hormones and how to like take a holistic stance on things. Oh, I love that because I, your OBGYN is not going to give you that information. <laughs> not at all. They're not going to dive into your adrenals. They're not going to dive into your thyroid. They're not going to dive into cycle syncing at all. Um, and I know you have a webinar for that, right? So someone could like watch a webinar about your course. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. It's, I think it's the painful period webinar, so you can learn more about it in there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Priya for coming on everyone. Check out her page. Just give us a little info on where to find you. Yeah. So my Instagram page is at dr.priya. So that's spelled out D O C T O R dot P A R I A. And then on there, you can find all my links for like my website courses and all of that. And you also have to give a little subtle brag for yourself because you're literally the naturopath naturopathic doctor on the Lemmy brand for Kourtney Kardashian. Are you not? Am. I am indeed. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm the only naturopathic doctor so far. So it's, it's really exciting. Um, it's a really good like representation for our field and just confirms that, you know, things are really moving in the holistic wellness direction, which is exciting.